Welcome to the Linked Up Church Podcast. We are passionate about connecting people to God, family, purpose, and community. Today, Minister Johnny Walker comes with a power-packed message entitled Victory Over Vexation. Let's go into the worship center and hear what God has for us today. So last Sunday, Pastor Gerger concluded his series on divine recovery. Power-packed series, three-part series. So if you didn't see it, you didn't hear it, you should go to our website uh, and log on and get those. We concluded his series with confessing five declarations, right? All right, power pack. So the Bible tells us that the enemy will come immediately to steal the word. Satan will throw everything at you in his arsenal, whether by him or by your own volition, your own choice, you will, and this is not prophesying, this is not speaking anything over you, but this is saying you will face, not saying you'll give in to, you will face difficulty, failure, upheaval, divorce, death, straining relationships, adversity, and many scenarios. Satan's desire is to cause a vexation of your spirit and in your soul, a troubling, an aggravation, a harassment. The title of my message today is Victory Over Vexation. Say that again, victory over vexation. More so than ever, it's time to stay sober and remain vigilant. Stay on the road to your divine recovery. Don't lose your momentum. Be a watchman. Safeguard your harvest. Keep an eye out for impending threats. Prepare for surprise attacks to withstand potential dangers. Purpose, endurance, persistence, focus, tenacity, perseverance will have continual success, get this, when laced with faith and hope in the things of God. The God-given weapons in your arsenal are mightier than the weapons in Satan's arsenal. If you get nothing from this message, get that. So no matter what you think, say, or what you believe, no matter what is even confronting you right now, I guarantee you, you may think it's big, but rest in knowing that your God is much, much more bigger. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 50. I want to read to you verse 25 out of the King James Version. All right, this is my first point to you. I got three points. Christians are always at, a risk, at risk of attack. The believer's weapons of warfare are both potent and powerful. When you activate and put the believer's weapons into action, you will maintain a surpassing victory. Going through will bring out the best in you. King James Version, Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 25, it reads, The Lord has opened up his armory and has brought forth the weapons of his indignation, for this is the work of the Lord God of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. So who is he opening up this armory for? He's opening it up for you, the believer. So what makes you think you're so big, you're so bad, you know it all, right? All by yourself that you can outmaneuver demonic powers. You know, as a good soldier we have to take orders from the commander-in-chief, especially if we want to win the war, right? We have to trust that the commander-in-chief's strategies will outmaneuver and are superior to the enemy's strategies, amen? amen? So let's talk about some of the weapons in your arsenal as believers. You might not, I listed a few, it's not an all-inclusive list, but you might not believe it, obedience is a weapon. Wisdom 
is a weapon. And when you tap into God's wisdom and his direction, you will never find yourself having to make up the stagger from behind. The name, the word, the blood of Jesus are weapons, right? When you invoke them, it causes the devil to tremble. He starts knee knocking because he knows that his end is near. Love, God is love. Love, fasting, fellowship, communion are weapons, right? They bring you into the presence of God. And wherever there is light, the darkness has to flee. Music, praise, joyful noises, clapping your hands are weapons. See, music praises, silences the enemy, and music will avenge the avenger on your behalf. Clapping your hands represents joy and gladness. The Bible says it is a hissing in the ear of the devil, and it takes him out of his place. Shouting, gladness, uplifted hands are weapons. Dancing before the Lord, right? No stanky leg. Dancing before the Lord. Speaking in tongues, engaging the Holy Spirit are your weapons. Turn with me to Ecclesiastics uh, chapter 9, verse 18, King James Version. It should be on your screen, so I'm going to continue to read. It reads, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. Wisdom comes from God, right? The command in chief gives you an order. If you refuse the order or you do something different, one mistake, one bad choice, right, could ruin your reputation, could ruin everything you've built up, could cause harm to your family and harm to yourself. Wisdom is a weapon. Psalms. Turn with me to Psalms 149. I'm reading verse 6, the Passion Translation. It reads, God's high and holy praises fill their mouths, for their shouted praises are their weapons of war. Do I have any warriors in here? Their shouted praises are their weapons of war. I can't go to battle with that. Their shouted praises are their weapons of war. All right, so now I can fight with you. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to read verses 8 through 18 out of the message. So what happens on the while you're turning? What happens on the road to divine recovery? We have confessed and we believe what we confess shall come to pass, right? So faith believes in the now, the now for the future. But that does not make us immune to troubles, to questioning God, spiritual terror, you know, being knocked down. In the midst of it all, God will refresh, he will renew, he will reinvigorate, he will restore, and he'll do what he does best. He will deliver you. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. So 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 18 reads, we've been surrounded and battered by troubles but we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do, but we know that God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't broken. What they did to Jesus, they do to us. Trial and torture and mockery and murder. What Jesus did among them, he does in us. He lives the hope of glory. 
Our lives are at constant risk for Jesus' sake, which makes Jesus' life all the more evident in us. While we're going through the worst, you're getting in on the best. We're not keeping this quiet, not on your life. Just like the psalmist who wrote, I believed it, so I said it. That's confession. We say what we believe. And what we believe is that the one who raised up the master Jesus will just as certainly raise us up with you alive. Every detail, that's wisdom, every detail works to your advantage and to God's glory. More and more grace, more and more people, more and more praise. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside where God is making new life. That's reinvigoration, right? Not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times, this pandemic, job, people, kids not acting right, all of that are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. The things we see are now, are here today, gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see now will last forever. You know, I can see God going to the Holy Spirit and saying to the Holy Spirit, I need you to go down and talk to my people. I need you to go down and let them know that I'm going to coach them through this. I will get them to the other side of whatever's confronting them. He pulls out his playbook and he calls his players forward. And he has weapons of warfare. He's my strengthener and my stronghold. He's my intercessor, and he's your advocate. He's your comforter and your counselor. And in the huddle of life, if you listen, the Holy Spirit is talking to you. And he's saying, you've been surrounded by troubles, hard-pressed, under great strain. But I'm here to encourage you to stand fast because victory is on your side. You may be demoralized. You may be sick, sick and tired, but it stops today because you're not suffocated, you're not choked, you're not trapped, and you're not suppressed. You may not know what to do, puzzled, but you're not baffled because you know that God knows what to do. And if you haven't heard, God is able. You've been spiritually terrorized, pursued, but you're not turned, you're not overrun, and you're not overtaken. You know why? Because God is on your side. You may be thrown down or knocked down, but you're not knocked out of the battle. You may experience brokenness, but you cannot be broken. It ain't over. Your ladder shall be greater. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, team. Hallelujah. We're going to break this huddle on three. Victory over vexation. One, two, three. Victory over vexation. Get it. Thank you.
I know my team look a bit skinny, but that's okay. <laughs> Don't let looks deceive you. Okay, let's go to the book of Job. You know the story of Job. But I want to point out something that I think is very unique. God and Satan has a conversation, right? Pure righteousness conversating with pure evil. We know Satan's, you know, uh, Satan used tragedy, tragedy to strip Job of everything, right? Job was the richest man in the East. He was the Bill Gates of the time. Uh, he had the livestock. He had the crops. He had uh, sons and daughters and, and laborers. He had everything, right? And the Satan or the devil stripped everything from him, right? Uh, disturbed his marriage. But here's the good news. In the end, his ladder was greater. He had divine restoration times two. Right? If I'm going to get divine restoration, you can multiply it times two. So let's pick it up. Job chapter 1, uh, 8 through 11, the message. God said to Satan, have you noticed my friend Job? There's no one quite like him, honest and true to his word, totally devoted to God and hating evil. So God is telling Satan, have you noticed my friend, Job? Friend implies relationship, right? And notice God said he's devoted to God. In case you didn't know, devil, I'm God. And he hates evil, that's you. Now, let's look 9 through 10. So Satan retorted, Satan's finna throw some shade. Satan retorted, so do you think Job does all that out of sheer, the sheer goodness of his heart? So if Satan will question God, what makes you think he won't question you or the God in you? Why, no one ever had it so good. This is a believer. You pamper him like a pet. Make sure nothing bad ever happens to him or his family or his possessions. Bless everything he does. He can't lose. So now Satan is telegraphing his intentions, right? Now, God says Job is a friend. Satan says Job is your pet. But what he really is saying is that he wants you to be his pet. He wants to strap you down with bondage and put a chain around your neck so when he pulls, you come. And he even tells you what his intentions are. He says, I want to make something bad happen to you, your family, your possessions, and I want to bless you my way. Not the way God blesses you, right? And then he says, you can lose. Verse 11, but what do you think would happen if you reached down and took away everything that is his? He'd curse you right to his face, to your face. That's what. So that's what the enemy wants to do. He really wants to sever your relationship with the father, right? And in severing your relationship with the father, you may not verbally curse God, but your actions, right? Your actions can still curse the father. Doesn't have to be what we say. A lot of times, it's not what we say at all. It's what we do and how we do it. So as a result of Job losing everything, his wife told him to give up, curse God, and die. Three so-called friends showed up, right? Got in Job's business, right? Formulated their own opinion and said, hey, Job, you have sinned. So let's talk about that real quickly. Job responded to his wife. He said, woman, stop talking and acting foolishly. Accept the good as well as the bad. He told the three friends, stop vexing 
tormenting my spirit and my soul. Your words break me to pieces. You know, in a, in a, in a marriage relationship or in a, in a true friendship, you should be able to look at your spouse and tell them to stop talking foolishly. Now, my wife, <laughs> y'all might think she's about 5'3", but she power packed. There have been times in our relationship, and I'm man enough to tell you, she will take me by this sleeve and she'll get in my face and say, you stop acting crazy. Stop talking crazy. And then I wake up and I say, you know what? You're right. But she doesn't do it from a place to injure. She does it from a place of love. And that's hard love. Love is not always floating on the clouds, you know, and, and prancing through the tulips. That's not, that's not love. Real love is telling you when you smell. Real love is telling you when you're wrong. Real love is telling you to get it right because in you getting right, we both are getting right. Stop talking about, let's talk about these friends. Stop calling everybody a friend. You have a couple of good conversations and your acquaintances are now your friends. Right? Let's talk about these so-called friends. Friends will come over just to get in your business, formulate their own opinion, right? We used to call it getting in the Kool-Aid and don't even know the flavor. <laughs> formulate their own opinion, and the next thing you know, and go out and spread poison. Next thing you know, when you step into the same room with those friends and other people that you know, you sense everybody's looking at you. When it happens to you, check your friends, your so-called friends. Let's explore this friendship a little bit more. Turn with me to John 15, 15, the Passion Translation. Jesus is talking, and he says, I have never called you servants, because a master doesn't confide in his servants, and servants don't always understand what the master is doing. But I call you my most intimate and cherished friends, for I reveal to you everything that I've heard from my father. Jesus says that you are his most intimate and cherished friends. So we know he doesn't use that, that label loosely, right? He doesn't use it casually or frivolously. Let me get that right. So we shouldn't use the label casually. God said I, you are his intimate and most cherished friend. He said he'd be a friend to the friendless. In one uh, scripture, he says, my friends, above all, I wish you'd be prosper and be in good health, even as your soul, mind, will, and emotions prosper. That's a friend. That's a real, real friend. Let's talk about breaking the, breaking the power of Satan. Vexation is carried out by tormenting demonic powers. It's a prominent weapon in Satan's evil arsenal. You know, but of course, our weapons of warfare are mightier. When we activate and put the believer's weapons into action, we break the power of Satan, and then we gain a surpassing victory. So let's, make some, let's look at some contrasts. I listed three. Satan's vexation exists to infiltrate, disrupt, and steal all that's good and positive in your life. Use your weapons. 
and allow God to enrich you and to saturate you with the realities of his kingdom. Now, who wants the realities of God's kingdom? I know I do. So I'm in that long line. And I want the realities of his kingdom. Secondly, Satan wants to hijack through vexation your focus and malnourish you physically, mentally, and morally. Use your weapons. Receive the love of Jesus and be completely satisfied. Minds at ease. Peace in the family. Health restored. Finances lining up. People on the job are acting right. Glory. Thirdly, Satan wants to snatch your happiness and break you down with trouble, worry, and weeping. Use your weapons. You worry, worry, and you trouble, trouble. Let the Lord turn your weeping into laughter. Hallelujah. And then you will experience the joy of the Lord, which is unrestrained joy. That's the type of life he wants you to have. That takes me to my second point. Jesus wants to set you free from demonic powers. His aim is to enrich your life, shower you with the benefits of the word, and fill the void in areas of brokenness. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. I want to read verse 17 through 21. The passion. Let me set this up. So Jesus, uh, the day before, he goes to a mountain, and all night he prays. He gets no rest. The day before, he had healed a lot of people. He healed a man with a withered hand. So it goes down to this flat plain. So get the picture. Multitudes, crowds uh, from different regions, different backgrounds, different ethnicities came to hear what Jesus had to say. Just like in here, right? Black people, white people, red people, you know, psychedelic people, purple people. We got them all in here, right? So the, 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 the passage begins, Luke 6, 17 to 21. Jesus and his apostles came down from the hillside to a level field where a large number of his disciples waited, along with a massive crowd, people all over, people uh, from Kennesaw, people from Powder Springs, from Atlanta, from Smyrna, from Marietta, from Memphis, right? People from everywhere, from uh, the coastal district of Tyre in Sidon. They had all come to listen to the word so that they could be healed of their diseases and be set free from tormenting demonic powers, set free from vexation. So it is the word, the word is Jesus that sets free. The word, the word is Jesus that heals from diseases. It's what he just said. Did I not read it? Hallelujah. The entire crowd eagerly tried to come near Jesus to touch him, to receive healing because of a tangible supernatural power emanated from him and healed all who came close to him. Now, Looking intently at his followers, Jesus began his sermon. Here are three points I want to get over you. How enriched you become when you are a beggar. Here we go. Get it. For you will experience the reality of God's kingdom. How filled you become when you are consumed with hunger and desire. Get it. For you will be completely satisfied. How content you become when you weep with complete brokenness. Get it? For you will laugh with unrestrained joy. See, they wanted to see and experience the glory of God for themselves, right? Like you came today to get some word, to get some direction, to let him enrich your lives, to let him fill those empty areas, right? To get you satisfaction 
complete satisfaction that's not fleeting. Hallelujah. Because the truth be told, we all experience brokenness. Right? Brokenness is, is simply discouragement and unhappiness. Right? We all get crushed by life sometimes. And it's the brokenness that enables the Holy Spirit to come in and do spiritual surgery. The brokenness empties us. The brokenness humbles us. The brokenness moves stuff out of the way, right? Stuff that gets purged of crazy thinking, uh, wrong speaking, wrong acting. I can do this all by myself. I don't need nobody, right? Purges all of that. I'm doing it this way because mom and daddy did it that way. Purges all of that. I saw it on Facebook, must be real. Purges all of that. I heard it on CNN, must be the gospel. Purges all of that craziness, right? So, but if you let him, God will take your brokenness and turn it into useful service for the master. And if it's useful service for the master, it's useful service for the masses. And if it's useful service for the masses, it's useful service for those around you that you can impact and turn to Christ. So, what are some examples of people that have brokenness that have impacted others because they gave it over to God? Well, Moses had a speech problem, right? Gideon was paralyzed by fear. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Don't take it, uh, this is not cursing, but where I'm coming from, we say she was a hoe, right? Don't act like y'all ain't heard that before. <laughs> Noah was a stone-cold alcoholic. Jacob was a liar and a cheat. David was a schemer, a murderer, and an adulteress. And then there's jo- Jonah. We know that Jonah ran from God. I wonder how many today are running from God in here. I wonder how many today are trying to carry that load that's just too heavy for your constitution. Your constitution has a limit. But the good thing about God, his constitution, his shoulders are broad, he is unlimitless. And he's saying, give it to me. I can handle the load. I can carry the weight, amen? Because the Lord wants you to be spiritually, physically, and mentally healthy. So I'm going to give you the clue how to get healthy. Run! Run from the devil. Walk! Walk with God. Turn with me to... Oh, time is getting away. Turn with me to my last point. I'm going to put these glasses on to make sure I'm, I'm on time. Pastor Greg, if I don't get on, if I'm not on time, you'll never see me up here again. <laughs> All right, so I think I got enough time to make this. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, the message. And I'm going to read through it. By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with him, make us fit for him. We have it all together with God because of our master Jesus, and that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. 
we found ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the middle of open, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even where, even even when we're hemmed in with troubles. See, that's using, exercising your weapon. Even hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop a passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the temper still of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do in alert expectancy such as this. We're never left feeling shortchanged. God will never leave you feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Ooh, that's good. That's why we should never take him for granted. He's been too good to us. If you're looking at me, you can hear me, you can talk, you can communicate. You can, you can form your mouth to say a sentence. That had to be a complete sentence. It'd be like my grandson, Papa. I take that. You should be thankful to the Lord. I want to talk, this last point I want to talk about is guilt. Because the enemy will always bring up past guilt. And what is guilt? Guilt is unrepented sorrow. Guilt is another tool of vexation used by the enemy. Conviction is by God. When you take guilt and you turn it into conviction, conviction leads to repentance. So you go from worldly sorrow to godly sorrow. You go from sorrow of the mind to sorrow of the heart. I wonder how many people make ill-advised decisions, step out in the deep water and knowingly leave the security, safety, and covering of the Lord, of their parents. Won't listen to God, won't listen to the spouse, won't listen to the parents, won't listen to the siblings, won't listen to the real, real, real friends, won't listen to the co-laborers planning their life by God. And they become so guilt-written that they can't bring themselves to come back they become so guilt written see, see guilt is evidenced in two words I in me I can't go back because I can't let them talk about me I can't show them that I was wrong what will they say about me my third point is this Repentance is a weapon, a weapon of warfare. Conviction leads to repentance. Repentance leads to the cross. The cross is Jesus. Jesus leads to restoration, and restoration leads to the God kind of life he desires for you to have. Hallelujah. My last scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, out of the message. Now, let's look at this. Distress that drives us to God does that. It turns us around. That is conviction. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain. 
but those who let distress drive them away from God, that's guilt, that's vexation, that's a tool of the enemy. Those who let distress drive them away from God are full of what? Regrets. And they end up on a deathbed of regrets or on a deathbed of guilt. Guilt will have a person stay in a problematic situation causing pain. Conviction, on the other hand, focuses on God. You come to the end of yourself and you realize that you have to get things right with the master. And that, was, that, that is what leads you to repentance. See, guilt, when you have broken relationship, a broken covenant, it grieves both parties, right? It grieves the person that has left the Lord or left the family, left their coverage, left their safety, left their security, left everything. They may not show it. They can talk tough and big, big and bad, but it's grieving their heart. God is grieved because now he's been minimized. He's been reduced. He's been blocked. He can't do what he does best. He can't come in and rescue you because you won't allow him to. That's what I said earlier when I talked about uh, by your own volition. Repentance cares more about what God thinks than what people think. I'm going to ask the music department to get prepared to come out here for me. I'm going to give you my conclusion. And I hope you're getting something from this message. Because I really wanted to penetrate your heart. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm giving it to you, but I'm actually working on myself. And that's how this message came to be. I'm the man looking in the mirror. Demonic powers will come to arrest you on your road to divine recovery. Taking back what belongs to you comes with the awesome responsibility of being a great steward. How? By confessing, by believing, by receiving, by keeping, and most importantly, by maintaining your momentum. Your weapons of warfare are both powerful and potent but they are of no benefit if you don't use them. The Lord's desire is for you to get in on his best. Let Jesus restore it today. Let Jesus restore it today. Let Jesus enrich today. Give him your hand. Let him fill your heart. Let him guide you to your road of recover. Amen. Praise God. I trust that this message has touched your heart today. Listen, we don't claim to have all the answers, but we do know one answer, and his name is Jesus Christ. So if you don't have a personal relationship with him today, we want to invite you to do so. Or maybe you had one with him, but you've just gotten away and you're desiring to come back to Christ today. I want to lead you in a simple prayer today. If you would, repeat this after me. Put your hand over your heart and say these words. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, 
I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died, rose from the grave, and he is alive right now. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save me now. As a result of what I've confessed with my mouth and what I believe in my heart, I am right now born again and in right standing with God. In Jesus' name, praise God. We are so excited for you. We believe that today is the first day of the rest of your life. Congratulations. We are so excited that you made the decision to get connected to God. Thank you for listening today. If this message encouraged or inspired you in any way, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and leave a review too. For past messages, updates, and more, please visit linkedupchurch.com or download the Linked Up Church app. You can also watch live services, watch past messages, and see our dynamic content for children, youth, and teens on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Linked Up Church. And if you would like to support more of what we're doing, you can give online at linkedupchurch.com or text Get Connected to 833-988-2009. Thanks again for listening. Have an amazing week, and we look forward to connecting with you.